But uh, as I've read through the, the letters of Paul, I've been more and more encouraged at his affections that he has for the people of God. And so to be invited here this morning to be with all of you, to worship with all of you, to sing songs and hymns, to pray, to even give thanks to the Lord, it is a privilege because not many people in this world have that privilege. They don't have the privilege of having air conditioning or lights or even a building. Some are huddled away in homes or underground somewhere for fear that they might be arrested or some other thing like that. But in all those cases, whether it's in Nigeria or Sudan or China or North Korea or even Greenville or Roebuck, South Carolina, the Lord has given to us the privilege of knowing him. And so I thank God that he has called us to be together this morning. So let's pray. Ask God for his help. Ask the Lord for his help through the preaching of this word that I would be able to speak and you would be able to hear with ears to hear and eyes to see. Let's pray. Oh Lord, you know, you know our every thoughts, you know all of our deeds, our actions, you know us better than we know ourselves. And Lord, you have ordained that it is through the preaching of your word, it is through your word that faith comes. This morning I pray and we pray together that that you would build our faith. Help us to be steadfast, Father. Help us to fix our eyes on our Savior. Work in us by the power of your Spirit to remind us of all truth and keep us from the evil one, we pray. Amen. Well, our text this morning again is in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 and uh, through 16. And I just want to provide just a brief backdrop of what's going on before we actually launch into verse 13. Paul has been to the city of Thessalonica. He has encouraged the believers there. He's actually preached the word there. And the Lord did something amazing where he has turned a vast majority of people in Thessalonica from the power of darkness to the kingdom of his son. And this caused a great joy in that city with the Thessalonian believers. So much so that this church, the church at Thessalonica, became a model for all other believers going through hard times, going through persecutions throughout the entire known world, so that Paul would even say that he and his companions boast of this church for two reasons. Number one, their faith and their patient endurance And number two, for their brotherly love and affection towards one another. This is clear evidence of the work of the Lord in the heart of of believers. And at that point, as they had gone to Thessalonica, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, you'll see that in in the first chapter. As they had gone to Thessalonica, there was some trouble that was on the horizon. There were people that did not like the operation of the Spirit in Thessalonica, and so they worked round the clock to shut these churches down. So imagine, you have pressures from outside of your church, from religious authorities that are trying to shut down the operation of the gospel in Thessalonica. But not only do you have that, but you have internally, you have some trouble, because there are some people that are saying in this church that the day of the Lord had come. Now, 
If all of you have, are familiar with the broader evangelical church in the 90s, the Left Behind series, everyone was waiting for the rapture to come. This is not a sermon about the rapture, but there, there was some consternation. There was some anxiety that was happening during the 90s, waiting for when is Jesus going to come? Several predictions happening all over the place. And in, in this, in our text here in Thessalonica, there was some anxiety happening in the life of the church because there's some false reports going around that Christ had already come or the day of the Lord had come. And so you'll see as you study through Paul's letters, as you go through the history of God's people, you'll see there's always going to be some sort of opposition coming from outside, pressing into the church, and there's always going to be some sort of tension going on within the church pressing outward. And so Paul says in chapter 1, verse 6, that it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you. So what's the point? What's the point? Why do I bring that up by way of introduction? The reason why I bring that up by way of introduction is because the whole letter is designed for the perseverance of God's people. And it doesn't matter what day and age you live in. You can live in 30 A.D., you can live in 60 A.D., you can live in 100 A.D. or 2021 or 2022 or 2025 or 2035 or wherever it is. Every single believer will need perseverance. And they will need help from the Lord. And so the Lord sends pastoral support, help. He sends Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. And he does this because he knows that the perseverance of his people is bound up in the encouragement of his people and in his own invincible, unstoppable work. If Paul knew that for the Thessalonian church and they needed that, so do you right now. Now, I don't know many of you at all. I've just met some of you this morning. But one thing I do know that if you call on the name of the Lord, if you are a regenerated believer, if you have the Spirit of God at work in you this morning, you also need perseverance. You also need the encouragement to fix your eyes on Christ. You also need someone to tell you, look to Jesus. You got any trials going on this morning? You got any suffering going on in your families? You come here this morning, a fight coming into the church this morning? You have an argument last night? Is your faith being tested? Well, for the Thessalonians it was. And for all of God's people, every single trial that we go through is designed so that our faith is purified, we are tested, and we are found to glory in Christ our Lord. And so, Paul knows that the perseverance of God's people is bound up in the encouragement of God's people and in God's invincible work. And he had a critical role to play in that. And so do you. So do you this morning. And so let's look at the text. What I'm going to do is I'm going to look at it in two, under two headings. The first is the encouragement of God's people. And the second is going to be in the invincible work of God. So we'll zoom in just a little bit and look at the encouragement that Paul provides for the Thessalonian church. And then we'll zoom out just a little bit and see what Paul lists as the works of God. He says in chapter 2 verse 13. He says, but we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved 
by the Lord. He says this. This is the second time he says this. Again, Paul's affections are on his sleeve. You can see the apostles' emotions right front and center as he communicates with this church. Again, going back to 1 Thessalonians and the, the Thessalonian context, Paul was so anxious to hear about what was going on. He was literally torn away from this church because of the opposition to the gospel in Thessalonica. He was torn away and he could not bear it any longer to know what was going on with the Thessalonians. So he sends Timothy. And you stop for a second and you think to yourself, Either Paul is really desperate for friends, or Paul really cares about these people. And here he says, for the second time in this letter, that we are bound to give thanks. We are literally under obligation. This obligation, this obligation for encouragement is not some sort of drudgery. This is not some like, okay, Paul, you need to do this. No, this is Paul's desire to encourage them. And he feels so compelled at what God has done through the Thessalonian church that he has to stop, raise his hands and say, Lord, thank you for what you've done in the life of the Thessalonians. Tell me, what was so spectacular about the Thessalonians? Can we even name one person from Thessalonica today? Probably not. The only thing that's spectacular is what God had done through them. They're patiently enduring through trials. They're going through it with joy. They're showing that they love one another. And this is enough for Paul to stop and pause and say, Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing through them. We may not be where we want to be spiritually. You may not be where you want to be spiritually. We may not be where we want to be. Our sanctification may be slower than we want it to be. But by the grace of God, you are who you are. And by the grace of God, you are where you are. And this is what Paul gives thanks for in the Thessalonian church. You might look at another brother and sister in the congregation and say, wow, that person is progressing way faster than I ever will with the Lord. You might look at your own heart and you might say, Lord, what about me? But I can guarantee you that if Paul was physically here today, he would stop and he would say, thank you, Lord, for preserving your people. This preservation, this thanksgiving that Paul gives is so important to Paul because it comes as a result of what he has just said before. He starts off by saying, but we are bound to give thanks. But what happened before? What has he talked about before? What he's talked about before is this falling away from the Christian faith. The trials from outside have pressed into the life of the church, and not only has it pressed into the life of the church, but also the people that they have walked with have begun to buckle under the pressures of persecution and trial. You got any friends like that? You walking with the Lord and someone that you looked up to, maybe a mentor, that's walked with the Lord and suddenly they're not walking with the Lord anymore? I was just talking with my wife the other day and saying how crazy it is to, and staggering it is to see so many of the friends that we have walked with in times past 
now walking away from the Lord. What are the excuses? Well, if the church just did better. If the pastors only met them one more time. And really what's happening is there's a falling away and the Lord's preservation of you right here in these pews today is a work of his grace. And he wants to encourage, Paul wants to encourage the Thessalonians, I thank God that he has preserved you. And this morning, you're here, you're listening to this sermon. And because you believe, this is enough to give thanks to the Lord. So Paul gives thanks, and this encouragement is an encouragement not just of obligation, but this is also an encouragement of God's love. He reminds them of what God has done. He says in verse 13, he calls them brethren. Now, if you're looking through Thessalonians, you'll see that Paul has a habit of saying brethren. He says it about 17 times between both letters. And this is to highlight the fact that he is identifying with other believers as his own people. You know, I grew up in in New York City. He said, uh, I was supposed to give a little background of who I am. But here you go. But I grew up in New York City where you have super apostles and apostles slash prophets slash whatever, pastor slash doctor, and then you have all of these things before you finally get to their God-given or mother's given name. And they don't want to associate with the rest of the church members. They're too spiritual. You might taint my spiritual, my spirituality. No. Paul, like our Lord, is not ashamed to be called their brother. As you grow in the Christian life, as you progress in knowing the Lord, the more you get to know about the Lord, the deeper and sweeter that communion gets, the more it's going to cause you to look at other believers and say, you're my brother and you're my sister. It won't put a distance between you and others. But he encourages them of God's love. He says, I thank God always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord. Growing up in a broader evangelical world, when we would go out to share the gospel with other non-believers on evangelistic crusades, we would always tell people, God loves you. But when was the last time that you looked another believer in the eye or another believer looked you eyeball to eyeball and said, God loves you? This is important, especially when you're going through trials. It's not a hallmark phrase that Paul just sat down and wrote one day and said, maybe I think this will be good on a Christian hallmark card. Paul understands that it is the love of God that gives you the fuel, the desire to go through every single moment of every single day. And when you see that it is the love of God that saves you, especially for someone like Paul, a murderer, someone who literally hunted from house to house looking for believers in order to drag them out and bring them before a council, hoping that they would get stoned like with Stephen in Acts chapter 6. And then God suddenly changes them, changes their heart. And at that moment, Paul stands before the Lord and says, I do not belong in your presence. Or like Peter, depart from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. When you begin to see the depth of God's love, 
for you as a believer going through your trials, then you will say, Lord, (laughs) what am I doing here in your presence? And it should humble us. And so Paul reminds the Thessalonian Christians as they're going through the hardships and the trials, the Lord has loved you. It's not just for an evangelical or evangelistic crusade. It's for the body of Christ to hear that God loves you. And so the kind of heart that we see expressed in the apostle is not the kind of heart that you or I could conjure up. These are not just fake emotions. This is not just Paul waking up on the Lord's Day and saying, well, I've really got to love these people, especially the one that annoyed me last week in Thessalonica. He's not saying that at all. The work of love is a supernatural work. And so when you think, how can I love the person that I stopped talking to last week because they stepped on my toe or they said something poorly about me in, my, in the last service? How can I love that person? I'll love them perfectly in heaven, but now I just have to like them and just keep going. No. The love that God calls us to is a supernatural love and the work of the Spirit. This is why in Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit begins with love. And so this is a supernatural work. And so we pray, we ask the Lord, fill my heart with your love, with what you love. And we need to pray that every single day. Lord, I can't love these people the way you want me to. Get rid of them. Move them to another church. Move them to another city. Send them on a missions trip. Do something with them. And some of those people might just be in your own home. We have to ask the Lord to fill our hearts with a love that constrained Paul, people like Paul, And especially, the love of our Savior. So, we see the encouragement of God's people and the Lord using the means of Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. And now he goes on, and this is where the bulk of our time is going to be spent, on the invincible work of God. Unstoppable. Unshakable. Invincible. In other words, you cannot stop God's work. You can try, you can apply for a a relief, respite somehow, but you will not succeed. And the Lord promised that. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so, what are the works of God that he roots these encouragements in? Number one, it's election. God chose you for salvation. He says, from the beginning, Literally, it's from before the time began. God chose you. And God chose you through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. And so the work of God choosing you, just like in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4 where it says that God has chosen you to be holy and blameless from the foundations of the world. If you are sitting here and you love the Lord, it's not because you signed a card and walked an aisle. It's because before everything was created, the Lord set his affections on you. And he called you. You see it throughout the entirety of the scripture. God calls not just, hey you, 
Like Pink Floyd said one time, hey you. God calls you by name. Samuel, Samuel. Saul, Saul. Peter, Peter. John. God calls you by name. And he sets his affections on you, not because he knew that you were going to make some right decisions. R.C. Sproul one time said that if we can lose our salvation, we would. It's true. We would lose our salvation. But the fact that you are still here and you're still believing, this is a work of election of God himself. The Father chooses you to be sanctified by the Spirit according to the gospel of the Son. The Lord lovingly gave his life, willingly and joyfully giving his life to bear your sins. You sinned yesterday? You sinned right before you came here? Are you sinning right now? The Lord paid for that. You're going to sin tomorrow? The Lord paid for that. Jesus willingly went to the cross knowing that you would make the wrong decisions all the time. And he still chose to set his affections on you. Why? Because of God's free love. It's not bound to anything. God chose to love you. And he, Paul, explains this to the Thessalonian Christians. You're going through trials. You're going through hard times. You've got some people in your congregation that are giving you false doctrine. And let me tell you, the reason why you're still standing here today is because God chose you from the beginning of all creation to preserve you, to sanctify you, to believe in the truth. And he called you by our gospel. Father chooses... The Spirit sanctifies and leads them into all truth, according to John 16, 13. The Son is glorified through the proclamation of the gospel in his saints, chapter 1, verse 10. And so in the lives of the Thessalonian Christians and in your life this morning, the entire Godhead is at work. The Father's not standing off with his arms folded and saying, well, Spirit, take over. The son is not looking and saying, well, she messed up yesterday. I died for that sin. Good luck with that. The entire Godhead is at work, not only in saving you at one point in time, but saving you till the day of Christ, preserving you. We look at the, the, the works of Christ, and as we zoom out, or the works of God, as we zoom out, Paul says, therefore, brethren, Stand fast. Hold to the traditions that you were taught, whether by word or our epistle. This is why preaching is so important. Not just from lowly interns from somewhere obscure places like New York, but the preaching of God's word. You know that in today's culture, we have more access to more of God's resources than any other time in history. We have the completed canon of God's word in our hands and for some of us on our phones. Back when phones used to be the size of a building, now they're in the palm of our hand and we can access whatever version we want. We have the completed canon of scripture at our fingertips and this serves to encourage us as we go through the harshest of spiritual and physical climates from the day that we come to Christ to the day we go to see him face to face. 
And every single moment of the life of a Christian is a call to stand fast. Whether you're 13, 23, 63, 93, 103, whatever age you are is a call to stand fast. To what? And hold fast to what? To what was preached. To what was delivered. At that point, the Thessalonians only had the Old Testament and some of these letters that were going out by the apostles. They had the model of lives of life from the apostles themselves. What did Timothy have to hold fast to? Timothy's listed here. You have Paul. He was gifted in God's providence to go to a really nice theological school. We don't really know anything about Sylvanus, except some people call him Silas. But we know Timothy had a mother who believed and a grandmother who believed. And they became his models. Some of you mothers are struggling to be models to your children, or you might even say to yourself, I don't think I measure up. I don't think that I'm a good Christian. I don't think that I showcased Christ yesterday in an argument that I had, or when I got bent out of shape. I'm sure Timothy saw those days. But the Lord used the likes of his mother and his grandmother to work life into him. So don't give up. What are the invincible works of the Lord? In verse 13, he chooses you. The Spirit sanctifies you to believe in the truth. In verse 14, he calls you by the gospel so that you would obtain the glory of the Lord Jesus. In verse 15, he gives you pastors and teachers to teach you, to feed your souls, to remind you day in and day out, to stand fast. In verse 16, He loves you. He gives you everlasting, eternal consolation. Are you lonely this morning? The Lord gives you comfort. Verse 16. He gives you consolation. He gives you good hope by grace. He comforts your hearts. And he establishes you. You look at your own sin... You ask the Lord to make you more and more holy, more and more like Jesus, and you start seeing how black your heart is, how dark and how deeply sinful your heart is, and your foot begins to slip, and you say, Lord, who is sufficient for these things? I know who is, the Lord. He will carry you. He loves you. And the good here, the good hope, is good as defined by God himself, who is good. So that with Paul you say, I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So, The means that the Lord used to help the Thessalonians persevere. The means that the Lord uses to help Roebuck PCA to persevere. Yes, even through Sunday or Monday. Because Monday might come, Tuesday might come, Friday might come, Saturday might come. The the means that the Lord uses to help you persevere 
is the affectionate encouragement of men like Paul in the reminding them of the solid, unshakable, invincible, steadfast work of the Lord. That is what God is doing right here, right now. Elijah said, Lord, I'm the only one left. And the Lord said, I have reserved 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. The Lord preserves his people. The perseverance of God is bound up in the encouragement of his people and the invincible, unstoppable work of God. And this will always be true until the day of Christ. Our confession says, They whom God hath accepted in his beloved, effectually called and sanctified by his Spirit, can neither finally nor totally fall away from the state of grace, but shall certainly persevere therein to the end and be eternally saved. The Lord who began a good work in you will complete it. He doesn't leave things off for other people to do. He himself will do it. And this perseverance of the saints, our confession continues, depends not upon their own free will, not upon your free will. You don't pull yourself up by the bootstraps but upon the immutability of the decree of God's election flowing from the free and unchangeable love of God the Father upon the efficacy of the merit of an intercession of Jesus Christ and the abiding of the Spirit and of the seed, which is the word preached to you therein, and the nature of the covenant of grace from all which ariseth also the certainty and infallibility thereof. So, you're not in Thessalonica this morning, if you haven't noticed. But you're here. Are you down? Did you come to the Lord's Day feeling down? The sun's shining, but it's still black outside? Set your eyes on the God who loves you who encourages you, who chose you, and who will finish the work that he begun in you. Texts like this are designed to help you to persevere through the harshest of days. And so, stop relying on yourself. Go to the Lord. Pour your soul out to the Lord. You see all the Psalms start off with complaints and end in praise. There's a reason for that. Because the Lord is not a propositional statement. The Lord is a person that he invites you to come to, to pour out your soul, so that he in turn ministers to your own heart by his word, by the work of the Spirit, through the encouragement of other believers who see you eyeball to eyeball, and you see the miracle of God's grace in one another. These are the means that God has given to strengthen his people so that they persevere to the end. And when you persevere, we were just, I was just telling my daughter the other day, the Lord is coming. And on that day when the Lord comes, the skies will be ripped in half. And we will see the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ with all the saints and all of the angels. And there's only going to be two types of reactions that day. For the unbeliever, they're going to find and try to find a way to get out of the presence of God and they're going to say, hide me from the face of the Lamb. But if you recall Peter's response when he heard that Christ was risen, 
if you recall his response on several occasions, where he got up out of his chair, stopped doing what he was doing, and he ran. That is going to be the response of every believer when they see their Savior. When we see our Savior coming on the clouds, we will stop. We will be eating meatloaf, and we'll be in the middle of meatloaf, and we'll run out to the middle of the street, and we'll say, Thank you, Lord, you're here. And I'm sure that these men and women in Thessalonica were waiting for that day. Wait for that day. Pray for that day. And persevere to the end. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you that you cause us to persevere to the end. We thank you, O Lord, that you are the God of all comfort. That you yourself love us. We thank you for the work of your Son who loved us and gave his life for us, who went to the cross despising the shame. We thank you for your Spirit. And now as we go on our way, as we continue to observe this Lord's Day, we pray that you would fill our hearts with love. Help us to persevere to the end, for Christ's sake. Amen. Amen.